Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, we are certainly at a crossroads, I think, in this country and a lot of concern about not just the Trans Mountain Pipeline, but Canada as an energy producer, Canada as a place to do business. A lot hinges on what happens here. Uh, joining us to talk more about what the federal response to all of this needs to be. Very pleased to welcome to the program in studio with us, federal conservative leader Andrew Shear. Mr. Shear, great to have you with us here. Thank you, the so, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure uh, to chat. Not a coincidence that you're here in Calgary, I suspect. No, I wanted to come out to Calgary uh, immediately after the announcement on Sunday. There's so much going on in the energy sector right now, a lot of uncertainty. A lot of going, a lot going on with in terms of how the federal government is is handling or mishandling mm-hmm. this situation, and and what happened on Sunday is really uh, a turning point, and uh, for, for the first time, in, in you know, as, as far as I can recall, uh, the federal government is sending a signal to proponents of major energy projects. Uh, that uh, now requires taxpayers' funds to, 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 to get these things built. Yes. So I wanted to come out, meet with stakeholders, meet with people in the energy sector, uh, see how, th- how this is going over in Calgary, and also get some feedback. Right. So you, you mean Sunday is in two days ago, Sunday? Yes. Right, because we've had <laughs> yes, yeah. a couple big Sundays. It's yeah. usually a pretty quiet day, but uh, two major uh, news events in a row on, on Sunday. So, I, I mean, the Prime Minister needed to sit down with, with John Horgan and probably with Rachel Notley, too, it was... Was that the right decision to to call these these two together to sit down in a room with them? And, and do you think more could have been accomplished at that meeting? Absolutely, uh, it was the right decision. The, the The problem was that it took so long to happen. Uh, John Horgan was asked to form a government in uh, June of of last year. It was no secret that he was opposed to this particular pipeline. I believe he's opposed to all pipelines. He, he's 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 from Seems the NDP. Like he doesn't yeah. want our energy developed. Uh, this project was given the final green light in the fall. We call, I personally called on Justin Trudeau to meet with Premier Horgan weeks ago. Uh, the Conservative Party introduced a motion in the House of Commons in February calling on the federal government to table a plan on specifically how to get this pipeline built. But if I can for a second ensure that we, we, we keep this in context, uh, the reason why the stakes for Trans Mountain are so high is because they have, uh, Justin Trudeau has literally killed everything else. Uh, Northern Gateway vetoed after an independent science-based approval process. Energy East was uh, very popular all throughout Canada. It would have displaced foreign oil being imported into eastern Canada. And Justin Trudeau imposed a double standard of upstream and downstream emissions on Energy East, which led to the proponent uh, cancelling. Mm-hmm. Now, no other sector has to account for that. The auto sector doesn't have to account for upstream, downstream emissions. Uh, Bombardier doesn't have to factor that in. Only this, uh, only now pipelines are going to have to do that. So the reason why Trans Mountain is so important is because there's nothing else going on. They've killed everything else. 
$87 billion of uh, investment has left have left Canada already. These are companies that aren't getting out of the energy business. They're just getting out of the energy business in Canada. So I, I know Justin Trudeau would like us all to have to focus on Trans Mountain and to, to, to debate whether or not taxpayers' funding uh, funds should, should or shouldn't be used or how best to deal with it. But we have to always remember that we got here because the Liberals let this become a, a crisis. Right, but I mean, and you mentioned Northern Gateway, and I mean, we've kind of been down this path before where that was a pipeline that was legitimately approved, should have been built, uh, and wasn't. And, and when the Conservatives were in government, you ran into a lot of these same problems where you've got opposition to, to this pipeline. What can be done to make it happen? Well, in fact, when the Conservative government was in office, we built four major pipelines. Uh, the 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 application for Northern Gateway was uh, was ongoing. Uh, we, you know, we, we lost the election before uh, you know before everything uh, was sorted. But th- there have been uh, there has been a lot of progress about developing a framework that uh, Aboriginal First Nations concerns can be brought into account, uh, environmental concerns. And that when those concerns are met, that the project gets a green light. And that's what conservatives are asking for. I think that's what Canadians expect, that we don't want concerns around legitimate issues to be used as an excuse to get to a no. If there's a valid environmental concern uh, and that concern can be addressed by the pipeline proponent, then they should be built. Uh, we saw that. We, we, we've, we've seen court rulings around frameworks around the duty to consult with First Nations communities. But what what has happened is that when Justin Trudeau said that only communities can grant permission, when he started inventing words like social license, he has emboldened those protesters. He has basically sure. told those protesters that uh, they have more power than they did before. He killed Northern Gateway only for political reasons. Uh, as, as you mentioned, it was, it was approved by the independent science-based process. So that lesson now for John Horgan, Premier Horgan, and every protester who's, who's out in front of this is that uh, you can you can make these decisions based on politics, based on who is the most vocal about it. That's what's so troubling about where we are today. So what are our options at this point? Well, there are a number of things going on in the energy sector specifically. I'll talk about that for a second. Uh, Bill C-69 is, is starting to get the attention that it deserves. Uh, I've already had a roundtable today in Calgary with everything from the, 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 the drillers to the heavy trades to, to the energy companies themselves. What C69 does is it basically uh, uh, brings a whole bunch of subjectivity into the, the process. Uh, it, it's a complete lack of clarity, and it really does politicize the, the process, allowing cabinet to make decisions uh, based on politics rather than science. That is uh, sending a shockwave throughout the entire community. The carbon tax, again, sending uh, driving out investment in Canada. Add, add that into the regulatory uncertainty around Energy East and Northern Gateway leading to their, their cancellation. Those are things that we could do. We could repeal C-69. We could, uh, you know, and a conservative government would, repeal the carbon tax legislation. And we can start to build that confidence back into the, uh, into the industry. Kinder Morgan's not asking for money. Kinder Morgan isn't saying that the project is no longer economically viable. Maybe we need a subsidy. They just don't have confidence. We can build that confidence back into uh, the energy sector by removing and undoing the damage that Justin Trudeau has done with it. Specifically, I think with, with Trans Mountain, uh, you need the federal government that, that A, enforces the rule of law. When people break the law, when, when, people, when a court injunction says that uh, workers have a right to access the, their, their, their work site to build a project that has been approved legally, uh, people cannot break the law to stop that. And the federal government needs absolutely to stand up for federal jurisdiction. This project is in the national interest. The federal government needs to be asserting that federal uh, jurisdiction over it.
Right. You mentioned the concept of social license, which does, does not have a good track record. But, I mean, to, 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 to look at it from another perspective, that, that if at the same time we're saying we're going to get these pipelines built, we're also going to remove all of this, this climate legislation. Uh, doesn't that exacerbate the opposition to, to these projects? If we're saying that we're, we're going to build the infrastructure to, to move uh, bitumen and, and oil, but we're going to do little on the other side to address climate change, doesn't that doesn't that hurt our cause? No, and, and let's not allow Bill C-69 or the carbon tax to be characterized as environmental measures. They're not. They're, they're really not. Bill, C- Bill C-69 uh, is not about tighter regulations on emissions. It's not about uh, re- reductions targets. It is It is purely a regulatory regime. Uh, the carbon tax has been proven not to uh, reduce emissions. It just becomes a source of revenue for the government. We have a system in Canada where we have the highest environmental standards in the world. We should be celebrating that. We should want more Canadian oil and energy getting to foreign markets to displace energy that's taken out of the ground in countries with no environmental standards or with abysmal records on labor, on equality, on the rule of law. We should be looking at our energy as a way to help the world reach its greenhouse gas uh, emissions targets because we do it in such an environmentally uh, friendly way and because it's displacing oil from rail and trucks. So that's the type of conversation we should be having. We don't need to leave the oil in the ground. We don't need to see a further exodus of people from, from the energy sector. I mean, it's, it, it, people are very, very concerned in, in, in Calgary. My riding is in Regina. We have Everest Steel in Regina. It's a, it's a, it's a steel company that makes pipelines. I see every time I'm home the human impact of this, uh, of this government's policy. At a time when, when you go to other areas that are developing their resources, you would you would never know that there was a downturn in the energy sector. You know, it's booming in places that have a clear pathway to a yes. And what conservatives have always believed in, yes, bring environmental concerns to the table. Let's bring people to the table who want environmental concerns addressed, but that once they are addressed, projects get built. I can work with those people. I cannot, it's very difficult to work with people who, just want to get to a no. There's no pipeline that right. they want to see built. There's no uh, expansion that they think is good for the country. Yeah, well, it, clearly they've decided to make pipelines a hill to die on. But uh, on the policy side, I mean, is, is there another way to meet emissions targets if, if not through a carbon tax? Or do, do we put those targets aside for now? Look, I, I, I note with, with a great deal of interest and irony that when uh, the, the Liberals signed on to greenhouse gas emissions targets, that they they kept the conservative targets. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clearly, that was a validation of our approach, which was to uh, use a a wide variety of tools from incentives to a sector-by-sector approach to to, to come up with achievable reductions targets. I believe it is possible. We did it well during the previous government, but we don't need to do it by slapping a new tax on and let's remember that when that carbon tax comes into effect, not only does it raise the cost of everything, I mean, we see the effect in British Columbia on the price of fuel. We know what's happening here in Alberta. Uh, I'm very proud that my own premier in Saskatchewan is fighting it uh, uh, vociferously. I hope uh, Jason Kenney and, and, uh, and a new government in Ontario will also uh, join the fight there. I, and I'm convinced I'll be able to repeal it in 2019. But let's not for a second think that that in any way reduces emissions because our, our, our competitors, you know, the United States, uh, European countries, countries all around the world are not imposing a carbon tax. When that production ramps up in those countries, uh, there's no reductions in, in targets. The best thing that we can do is to keep production booming here in Canada, to keep our economy booming, our energy sector developing with achievable reductions, with innovation, with incentives to, uh, to for companies to reduce their emissions so that we can displace 
production from countries that uh, don't have those targets or don't have those robust uh, environmental regimes. Let me ask you about a couple other issues. Certainly, um, the the aftermath of the Prime Minister's trip to India uh, continues to resonate. It was more than just, I think, a political embarrassment. There were some legitimate issues raised by some of the, the theories put forth by the Liberals to explain this whole Jasper Outwell situation. Now, Daniel Jean, the, the top uh, national security bureaucrat, testified before a committee yesterday there's been an opportunity, I think, or at least you've been pushing for an opportunity to, to meet with him, uh, to have a what would be, I guess, a classified briefing. Where, where, do, where do things stand on that front, first of all? Well, as, as you mentioned, uh, to, to, to put it in context, uh, in the middle of the prime minister's, uh, what, what I believe the consensus was it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a net negative for the prime minister. He, he ended up embarrassing uh, himself with having a, a convicted attempted murder attend official events. So it, was, it was an embarrassment to the uh, government of India that he was invited to these events. And then to have his, his security officials, his most senior officials, blame the government of India, uh, that in completely unsubstantiated allegations. And then to have those allegations linger for weeks, I mean, weeks and weeks, the Prime Minister was getting up in the House of Commons, advancing this theory, defending the theory. And now Daniel Jean, uh, and then we tried to get Daniel Jean to come to committee to give parliamentarians the same briefing that was provided to the media. We thought that that was uh, in, in the interest of transparency and accountability, that that should happen. They fought that. We had 20 hours of marathon voting because the Liberals right. were, were blocking our attempts to do that. Then they rolled over. They, they, they finally agreed to my request, and Daniel Jean appeared before committee. He's, uh, there's some contradictory statements now, some things that were said at committee that don't seem to jive with reporters' versions of the conference call. So we're still trying to pour out through that and find out where, where the truth actually lies. But one thing is, is, is certain. Justin Trudeau did everything he could to prevent this from, from being aired, and he allowed this very insulting accusation against the government of India to linger for weeks. All of this was so unnecessary. He could have come out the day after this transpired in India and said, look, honest mistake. Someone in my office didn't do their job, didn't check the list. We're going to address it going forward. We wouldn't be talking about it here today, weeks later. Well, and yeah, I mean, there are those who say, you know, why, why are you guys still harping on it? You know, let's move on. But there are some, some unanswered questions here, right? There is. And, and, and I don't think you can ever let a government get away with not telling the truth or not being transparent. And when it looks like they're saying things that aren't true, they need to be held accountable for that. Because if they're willing to cover up or to, to say things that aren't true on something like this, what does that tell you about their entire agenda? It's very important that we, we have the utmost faith, not only in our elected officials, but also in departmental officials that, that we can take to the bank the things that they say. And when it turns out that there's any kind of a doubt, that's the job of the opposition is, is to sort through that so that Canadians can make their own decision about whether or not they actually believe what their prime minister is saying. And I got to ask you about this. There's a new book out or a new book coming out. Maxime Bernier, of course, conservative MP, finished uh, close second in that leadership contest that, that he prevailed in. Uh, he's raised some issues about the race itself, uh, the issue of supply management. I don't know if he's trying to cast doubt on the process or if he's concerned about this issue, but... What would you say in response to to what he's alleged and what he said in his book? Well, you know, I'm not really actually going to comment much on it. I'm, I'm focused on the job that I've been entrusted to do by the members of our party, and that is to lead our party to victory in the next election. I ask all my members and members of the team to help me in that task and to do everything we can, row in the same direction, and, and do that. There's so much at stake. We have to do this for Canadians. I was proud of the race uh, I ran. Uh, you know, uh, we had a, a competitive field of at 1.16 candidates. Every candidate had the opportunity to, to pitch their vision of what they wanted the party to, 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 to stand for and how to approach the next election. 
and members had their say. So I think I think you'll find caucus and, and, and members of our party uh, aren't looking in, into the past. They're not looking at, at, at that. They're looking at, okay, how do we all make sure uh, that we win the next election, that we have a conservative government that's going to lower taxes, defend our natural resource sector, bring back a principled foreign policy uh, for us around the world. That's the focus of, of, uh, of our caucus and, and I believe the, our movement. How do you reconcile, though, a policy like supply management with with representing free market and, and conservative principles because it, it does seem to a lot of people that those those are at odds. You know what? It's been a part of our party of our party policy uh, since its inception. It's the same uh, po- par- policy that that previous governments uh, uh, conservative governments stood for. It's the same policy that Maxime Bernier ran under. Uh, we had that debate in, in 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 our leadership process. I I know I note that those who who attack it often point to. Uh, you know, to to arguments about other countries, the United States has a myriad of support systems for their dairy sector. You know, the, the, I know that some here in Canada uh, will 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 repeat some of the lines from the Trump administration, uh, and yet they don't talk about the fact that every state has has some kind of a mechanism on on price support, on on production, uh, on income supports. So that the federal government in the United States has a farm bill that's in the billions and billions of dollars. I think it's essential to. Uh, protect and preserve uh, our, our regions, our rural regions. There's there's vibrant dairy sectors in in, in every province, and uh, and and I don't believe I I just simply don't agree. I, I don't think it's inconsistent at all to to protect that that aspect of our of our economy of our of our society. And I think there's I know that that our caucus is behind that, and the members have their say. So you know. We, we have these internal debates. It's great for the leadership race. It's great for, for party conventions to have those say's. But it is important that once members have their say, that, that we, we focus on those areas that we can, that, that, that we can all agree on and, uh, and that we can move forward and achieve the types of things that we know we need to achieve to win in 2019 and to implement a conservative uh, vision for this country. All right. Landry Shear, it's been great having you here today. Thanks so much for coming by. I really appreciate this. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That is federal conservative leader Andrew Shear. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.